the nonprofit MBA purpose is to provide new business insights and fresh creative ideas for executive directors and their teams that will help them improve their organization. Here is your host, Stephen Halasnik. I am a managing partner at Financing Solutions. Uh, Financing Solutions is the leading provider of lines of credit to nonprofits. Our line of credit program is easy, inexpensive, and costs nothing until used, making it a great cash backup plan. If you'd like to learn more about the program, please visit us at nonprofitmbapodcast.com or feel free to give us a call at 862-207-4118. Just remember the time to set up your line of credit is today, not when you actually have the emergency that comes up. Today, I am excited to be speaking with Ann Dimock, who is who has been involved in fundraising for over 40 years. Ann, did I pronounce your last name correctly? Pretty close. Dimmock. Dimmock. Okay. I usually cover that before our, our podcast begins, but I kind of forgot. And so, uh, Ann uh, Dimmock, right? Yep. Okay. So, uh, so Ann, tell us a little bit about yourself, please. Okay. Well, I have worked in the nonprofit sector my entire career, and most of it as a professional fundraiser. But uh, along the way, I also was an ED, uh, a planner, and had a few other nonprofit jobs. But otherwise, this has been my life for my whole working career, and I just retired a month and a half ago. Wow. Wow. Um, and now, now I have to ask, now you're retired, uh, uh, what are you doing? <laughs> well, I, uh, this morning I went out and rode on a lake. <laughs> And wrote for two hours. So I'm involved in that. But I'm also a creative writer. And uh-huh. I have a book under contract that I'm uh, working towards uh, finishing. Uh, it won't be published until like a year from now. So I, I still have work to do on it. Cool. All right. Good luck in your retirement. Um, so uh, today's topic is the nonprofit fundraiser, a 40-year perspective from Reaganomics to peak fundraising. To start off with, and why do you think it's so important, uh, uh, or just important? Why is it important for us to understand the history of fundraising? Well, the history goes further back than 40 years, but um, fundraising underwent a real sea change during these last 40 years. It went from just a few nonprofits having this function in-house to all nonprofits having to succeed in this. So I, I feel like when I got in on fundraising, I was riding that escalator up in terms of uh, how much in demand the profession was um, in its growing sophistication and its importance um, into the nonprofit organizations themselves. So yeah. uh, fundraising has been around probably forever. But the last 40 years, uh, there's just been a huge change. Yeah. I guess also it to understand where you are, you have to understand either where you've been or where, you know, in this case, the industry's been. Mm-hmm. Uh, where, you know, if you look back 40 years ago, mm-hmm. uh, what was fundraising like 40 years ago? Yeah. Well, I started working in nonprofits in the 70s. And... Um, by the late 70s, I was my first job in fundraising was at a small community health organization. And only the executive director 
did anything resembling fundraising. I, I actually had a different position in health education. Um, they hired a grant writer once in a great while, but that was it. And if you looked around, it was organizations like hospitals, museums, universities that actually had fundraising staff. Most of your bread and butter nonprofits did not. And that began to change in the early 80s. And that's why I've, I quote Reaganomics as being at the beginning of that period. Uh, when President Reagan came into office in 1981, so of course, you and your listeners know, a great wave of conservatism came through the country. And part of what happened then is that the federal government started reducing block grants to the states. And this was where a lot of nonprofits got their money was through block grants for you know a whole variety of services, battered women's shelter, daycare, everything. And that was when it began to dry up and it never was ever really fully replenished. Hmm. So um, along the way, nonprofits had to figure out how they were going to raise more money. And they started to learn how to do the fundraising themselves, hire people like me. In my case, um, my boss at the time said, hey, you want to write a grant up proposal with me? And I said, sure, why not? Um, and then they asked again, and I didn't say no. And that's how it started. Hmm. Most fundraisers um, of my generation came at it through an entirely different route. That's not necessarily true now, but it's, it is still common for fundraisers to professional fundraisers to come into the profession after serving in some other capacity. So um, that was true then, and along the way. Fundraising just grew and grew to what I call now peak fundraising, which maybe it isn't at its peak yet. Maybe that is still in the future, but it feels like peak fundraising to many of us because it is so competitive now. And it didn't used to be like this. Does peak stand for an acronym? No, uh, no. Or? I just mean like, you know, the height of fundraising. The height. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Wait, wait, so now, so contrast that with, you know, you you kind of already did contrast it between 40 years ago, the government was more involved, mm -hmm. it, you know, they're giving more money uh, versus now where it's, you know, it's very competitive. Mm -hmm. um, over those 40 years, 40 years, did it um, change how people were soliciting uh, big donate is it you know really big donations we're talking about now? Mm -hmm. We're talking about all of them, big donations, oh. small. Um, direct response fundraising really grew and mm -hmm. came to you know um, be done through a variety of different channels. Um, not that's not so much true for major gift fundraising or institutional grant driven fundraising. Um, those are done, you know, similarly to how they were in the past, yet there's all these new tools. You know, we have um, the computerization of our working world to thank for that, the databases that 
we get to use um, to identify people and institutions and the databases we use to keep track of our donors. So um, the use of computers uh, had a very uh, important effect on fundraising and allowed it to grow. Uh, it really allowed us to meet this new demand of a larger, reliable fundraising stream for nonprofit work. Hmm. So the tools got more extensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess that people, you know, it got more of a specialty too, like you yeah. said, where, you know, you would have someone who's in charge of all the fundraising where the executive director mm-hmm. was a different role mm-hmm. uh, now where they would be overseeing the whole operation, but not as involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, they're, they're still involved, of course. I'm not saying they're not, but they would, you know, the better run nonprofits as soon as they can get the revenue up, the executive director probably focuses his or her attention on the biggest donors, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. Is that accurate to say? Yeah. You know, I the way it started, uh, you know, back in the 80s is you had one person shop and the, the one fundraiser you could afford to hire did some of everything. And as we all marched along together, getting bigger and better, we all began to specialize more. Um, and, you know, that's good. We all get the, the, the entire field grew. We all got better. Um, but what I see now is that any nonprofit, even small little nonprofits, you almost need four people now in your mm-hmm. fundraising office, like a minimum of four people to really be competitive. And that's, I think, is kind of a shame because it's uh, kind of cuts a lot of good grassroots organizations out of the picture. Um, but fundraising has gotten so sophisticated and competitive. There's wonderful tools to use. There's wonderful people with great experience. Um, but it didn't used to be that a nonprofit had to hire four people to guarantee its income stream. It just didn't used to be like that. Um, so over those 40 years, fundraising got better, but nonprofits had to devote more of their um, administrative overhead to making sure this could get done just to remain competitive. So uh, over that 40 year period, 40 year period, was it, um, was it common for, not common. Did you work with a lot of small nonprofits under $5 million in revenue? Yeah. Um, I, I did both. I worked for a large university, a large science museum, large hospital, and some smaller grassroots organizations, some very small, uh, where I was the one person shop. Um, but mostly over my career, I found myself in the director of development position. And sometimes that meant building the fundraising operation from the ground up. Uh, sometimes it meant uh, managing a team that was already in place. Um, so I've, I've done both. Um, and you know, here, here's an interesting juxtaposition. Uh, I had a, a job at the Science Museum of Minnesota, director of development, managed a staff of 11. And... Um, You know, it was a great organization, great team. And I made a career change after that to go to Hawaii. Well, why not? Who wouldn't go to Hawaii? (laughs) But I went to work for a small Habitat for Humanity affiliate, and I was their first fundraising person ever. 
you know, mm. there, there was no staff. I went from having people to being people. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it sounds like, well, that's an odd career move. Well, it got me to Hawaii, so that yeah. was so odd. But yeah. it also was brilliant because my my boss, um, who had a lot of trust in my experience, allowed me to create the best components of to assemble the best components of fundraising that this organization could handle and would meet the socioeconomic background of the community. And I think it takes an experienced fundraiser to to choose well. Um, so I've I've had that role a couple of times where you know I've gone from a big operation and then back to a small one, and they've worked out really well. Um, and I encourage any professional fundraiser to maybe think about making that move sometime over over their career. You bring an awful lot of wisdom to a small organization that is like a deer in the headlights. They don't even know where to start with the fundraising. Um, but somebody who's, who's been through a lot of it um, can make really good choices. Let's talk about that deer in the headlight. I, I yeah. like that analogy. Uh, so uh, what I want to talk about is when you, when you let's say, when you move to uh, Habitat for Humanity, and this, this may not be the best example, but let's take an example, maybe even in your past, before that, when you were an executive director, and my first question is this, once you really, okay, before you knew what you were doing in general mm-hmm. about running a, a nonprofit or doing the fundraising, if you had to say what your time was divided up as an executive director, mm-hmm. or even people that you know that are mm-hmm. executive directors mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. a smaller nonprofit, mm-hmm. where is your time before they get experience doing mm-hmm. what they're doing, where is it usually going? What if you had to say twenty percent it's here, fifty percent it's here, mm-hmm. so on and so forth, mm-hmm. up to one hundred percent? Where would you, where would you say inexperienced executive directors are falling into? Well, probably you know their personnel concerns um, is uh. is the biggest slice of that. You know, uh. Uh, thirty to fifty percent, depending. Um, program right after that, program supervision. Board okay. of directors, okay. um, real estate compliance issues, and then, then they got to fit fundraising in there somewhere. Yeah, yeah. So like 5 or 10% is yeah. maybe fundraising, right? Yeah. So now let's take an experienced executive director, mm-hmm. but still at a smaller nonprofit mm-hmm. under $5 million. Mm-hmm. Where does it go then? Well, it should be going almost 50%. but To fundraising yeah. and 50% for the other stuff. Yeah, yeah but okay. – um, that's that's a luxury if you can get a CEO to commit to that you're doing yeah great. yeah so so then in, in order for someone to get out of that that um, cycle mm-hmm. um, you know it's almost like you have to build you have to get to the certain revenue point as mm-hmm. a nonprofit where you can then backfill with staff mm-hmm. and and then you can start taking that Fifty percent fundraising and making it to eighty percent fundraising. Mm-hmm. If that's what the executive director wants, I guess at that mm-hmm. point you might want to bring on someone who's in charge of fundraising. Oh yeah, totally. Right? Totally. How many exe- how many executive directors do you think, on a percentage basis, actually uh, prefer doing the fundraising part of it versus the managing of the staff or any other stuff? 
Uh, I think it's a rare CEO, it uh, is, executive huh? director that that prefers the fundraising to the other stuff. Yeah. So then the the first thing that a, a executive director is going to look to do is to outsource that fundraising yeah, yeah. A, as quickly as possible because that's the stuff they don't like to do. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, nobody likes to do it, as, as yeah. they say. Um, and but you I, like I don't to really do it. like to approach it that way because it's it's very negative, you know. Yeah. And it's like, well, why not? Why? Why? Because really, fundraising it's about love. Really, yeah. it's um, and I, I, I think people have a sh- they feel it's a shameful enterprise, but it's not at all. And yeah. you know, I think we all have to do a better job of embracing, you know, the the public good, civic mindedness of, of fundraising, and and not make it sound like it's such a chore. Yeah, how has the um, I know kind of a, a leap to a different topic, and that is. How over those forty years, how has the role of the board uh, changed in regards to fundraising? Yeah, it's changed. It's changed. Well, the role I don't think has changed. The landscape within uh, volunteerism and local corporate support has changed immensely. I, I think this is a bind that nonprofits have got themselves into is we rely on a, on a board to really help with fundraising. Yet the external conditions that used to support that have utterly changed. Now, board of directors were often populated by uh, uh, local business partners, uh, some very high up in the corporate world, some not. And, um, and you could always count on support from the corporations that board members represented. But that has changed over this 40 years um, with the mergers and acquisitions of a lot of businesses. There is no longer the same hometown loyalty that uh, businesses used to have. You know, corporate headquarters may be on another coast at this point. So you don't have that same loyalty. From the corporate sector, um, then you know women who uh, went into the workforce in droves in the seventies and eighties and then beyond. Um, they used to be the backbone of volunteers and often populated boards too. Well, those those women are not so available anymore. Um, so finding good board members is still a, a real difficult job, and we have a lot riding on the the board of directors affinity for helping with the fundraising. So it, it's really tough. I don't have a solution for it. Um, but I think um, acknowledging, being quite honest about it, that most fundraising that goes on is staff driven would be healthy for organizations rather than expecting that board members are really going to uh, do the heavy lifting on it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I almost would think that that to some regards you might want, it might be better just to have a smaller board than a bigger board. Yeah. Um, yeah. That way you could have more people cycling. I don't know. I'm not really sure. I'm on a board, so I kind of get it. Um, you know, sometimes you just dragging people in and then the other part is that there's people staying for a really long period of time because mm-hmm. it's hard to find people to backfill. So I kind of get it. Um, so 
Well, I, I have to, why did you decide to move away from it? Uh, as a, why did you decide to retire? Well, I, I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> um, you know, after a while, there's only, there's only so much you can take about not having your advice followed. Uh-huh. I also think it's one of the reasons why we have a lot of fundraising consultants out there. Yeah. Um, when you're a staff fundraiser, you really, you know, you've, you've got to make nice with everybody, the board, the executive team, and um, you're the you're a cheerleader for the organization. And, you know, sometimes it doesn't go well and, and there's uh, unrealistic expectations. Uh, and I think a lot of fundraisers get to a point at some point when they say, you know, I think I'd rather be a consultant because then, you know, I'll get paid for my advice. I will be sought out for my advice. I'll give it my best shot. And then I get to walk away. Um, Not because they don't care for the organization, but consultants usually don't have to stick around for the implementation. I mean, some do. I mean, there there's certainly yeah. firms hired for for certain aspects of it, um, but I think a, a lot of fundraisers I've, I've known get burned out along the way. Um, I know I approached that point several times over my career, and leaving now is is really a matter of of age, and um, and I think a realization too that younger generations are going to have more energy for this. Uh, and particularly some of the newer forms of direct response fundraising. Yeah. You know? I mean, I had to learn all my computer skills on the job. I, I'm, yeah. was not a, I'm not a digital native um, the way younger people are now. So, um, you know, I've learned a lot um, in, um, um, you know, how computer systems have affected everything. I've kept abreast of all that. But, it, you know, I've reached a saturation point and I was ready to move, move on. Yeah. 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 Do you think that um, it's a mistake for executive directors or fundraising uh, experts to think that uh, digital uh, fundraising is all it's cracked up to be? Um, I think it's a great tool. Everybody should use it. Um, but you should keep in mind that this is not where your major uh, donations are going to come from. That's still going to come from your major gift uh, individuals. Um, it's crowded landscape. I think you have to be there, but I think you have to um, proportion your effort out. Um, you know, if, I, I just have, I'm just sort of a mixed mind about it. You need to yeah. do it. Um, and you acquire new donors through so many different channels now. Um, but donors also have a lot of places to go. Um, this is why I, I thought, of, I think of this as peak fundraising. Um, there's, there's a lot of fundraising that goes on um, without it being for the benefit of nonprofit organizations. Um, you know, anybody can set up a GoFundMe site for, for anything. 
Um, and that's not to say that those aren't for good causes, but it's a different type of fundraising. We're confronted by fundraising everywhere we go. Um, if that's donor fatigue is real. I wonder if there is a saturation point. Um, we know that it's harder than ever to retain donors from year to year. I think um, the proliferation of digital fundraising is in there somewhere um, and is causing more people to drop out of the annual fundraising stream for any given organization. We have to work yeah. twice as hard to keep those donors. I guess if you say is, let's say I have, I have like X amount of time to dedicate to fundraising, right? Mm -hmm. Do I, do I want to spend that time as an executive director or as a fundraising expert setting up online fundraising or do I want to spend that time trying to get major gift donors? Mm -hmm. Well, if you're the executive director or the head fundraising raiser, you should be putting that time into major gift donors. Yeah. Um, you know, if you feel you need to be competitive in the online space, you know, do one campaign a year or something. But I, I've done it as a year-round thing, and it's exhausting, you know? Yeah. And you've got to – your communications have to be – really tight and fresh and new all the time because it changes and everybody else is out there saying new things. So um, digital fundraising is not for the faint of heart. Um, yeah. that's, you, need a, you need a team behind you. And it's not just fundraisers. It's communications. Yeah. Is there um, – are there fundraising experts that are out there that are consultants that – that you can bring in and you pay them a percentage of the amount of money that they bring in? Mm -hmm. There are people out there, um, but this is not considered ethical. Um, yeah. The um, Association of Fundraising Professionals frowns on this. And there's often disputes about whether professional fundraisers can make any sort of bonuses or things like that. Um, it's really about investing in the work. Um, I, at, at any given, at a, especially at a beginning stage for a particular program or a nonprofit, you're going to have to invest a lot of time before you start seeing some money coming in. So I don't think it's really fair to the fundraisers uh, who help an organization at that particular stage, you know. There, it's going to take a while before the revenue really starts coming in. So I, there are people out there who do work that way. Gen, I'll say generally, it's not a good idea. How, how many times were you unsuccessful going into an assignment mm -hmm. um, where you did not hit the target revenue that they – I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that you, that you want to mm – -hmm set the expectation correctly yeah. Yeah. that this is the amount that we're, that I think we can do. Yeah. Was, uh, uh, is it uncommon, was it uncommon for you to come in? I mean, you're tired now, so it's okay for you to kind of say, <laughs> yeah, maybe. there's times when I failed, you know, <laughs> uh, or, I, and maybe it's not like you were saying, it's not you. It's like sometimes you saying the execution plan wasn't very good. Right. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Uh, and so it wasn't really uh, your thing. Um, but is it, uh, was it more common than not to fail 
on the uh, fundraising efforts? I, I would say over the course of my career, no, it was not more mm. common to fail. But especially as time went on, I found myself having to deal with what I called aspirational fundraising goals, where the organization had its own ideas about what should be raised and, you know, were oftentimes substantially higher than my cold eye assessment. And, you know, in a couple of those situations, yeah, um, didn't meet the goal on any given year. But uh, um, the goal, while this was what the organization needed, they just didn't understand that you can't turn the temperature up to high and get a good boil going, you know, in a couple of months. Yeah, I guess you, 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 you'd be a victim of your own success, right? So you like, you'll achieve the goal the first time around and they're like, okay, well now let's That's double right. that goal, right? Oh yeah, well that always happens. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's always happens. Yeah, but that, you know, listen, you got to come up with a, then at that point you got to come up with a plan how we're going to do that, oh, yeah. right? Oh yeah. Um, who usually brought you in, the executive director or the board? Um, usually the executive director. Uh-huh. Um there were times, certainly the board was consulted, especially a larger organization. Um, there might have been a couple of board members on a search committee, for example. But usually as the executive director um, making the final decision on this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you had to change anything now about the way fundraising is done, mm-hmm. what would you what would you change? You know... I worry about this peak fundraising and people getting completely inured to uh, fundraising requests. So I, I would love to see a couple of bold experiments. Um, I'd like to see organizations uh, have campaigns of gratitude. Um, try out a campaign of gratitude instead of a campaign of asking for money and see what that might do. Um, And I'd like to see organizations hire uh, for their fundraising staff, train them and support them, um, the people whom they serve. Uh, This is true largely like in social service organizations as opposed Mm. to, say, a zoo. (laughs) Mm. But really, so many organizations... Um, could really have a good sort of youth workforce development uh, mini program going on that would help fund or help staff the fundraising effort. And I think that would be really good. Um, I think a lot of uh, young people have no idea what the profession of fundraising is like. And I'm a real booster for it. I think it's a wonderful um, uh, career to have. And I think a lot of people would benefit from it. And the organizations would benefit from having young voices um, who are among the population that they serve, Uh, learning to be the spokespeople of the organization, learning the right way to talk about the challenges that they face and how this organization helps address it. So I'd like to see that sort of experimentation. Yeah, I could, you know, after talking to you, I can kind of really see where f- fundraising can really get like uh, 
that the, that, a, that a nonprofit can try to do way too much, too many different channels of fundraising mm -hmm. instead of focusing on two things maybe and just being great at the execution of those two yeah. things. And yeah. like one of those two things, I think it's obvious. I think you have to put 80% of your time into major uh, donor fundraising and then 20% of your time into online, mm -hmm. you know, that's not even fundraising, but really online presence. Mm -hmm. I guess uh, the, the one, the area I'm not talking about, of course, is when it comes to applying for grants mm -hmm. and, and those type of things. I mean, uh, that would, of course, fall under fundraising, correct? Yes. Yes, it does. Yeah. So, I mean, if you had to have breakdown, uh, you know, you're the expert. If you had to break down the perfect amount of time and where you should put it, uh, what would you say? Well, it's different for each organization. Each organization, right? right? Depending yeah. on, you know, the community that they're raising money in. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. you know, we always talk about the three-legged stool, direct response, institutional giving, and major uh, gifts. So okay. doing something in all of those is, is pretty good. I have often felt, over almost any job in my career, that the most important thing I did as a director of development was deciding what we were not going to do. Hmm. And it speaks directly to focusing on your best chances, forget about that event that that board member wants to have, or getting tied up in year-round digital campaigns. Um, deciding what you're going to do and make the most of those opportunities. Yeah, good stuff. Um, well, we have a couple of minutes left. Uh, you know, is there any other words of wisdom, man, that you kind of want to partake, uh, you know, to our listeners at all? I do. I am concerned about the future of, of fundraising. I would hate to see this all sort of fall apart under the weight of all the different platforms and channels you can fundraise on. Um, so I, I think. People like me who, you know, don't have a, a dog in the fight anymore can actually offer a lot of good advice. So while some of us are stepping off the stage, I think we're exactly the sort of people you might need for, um, you know, a lengthy phone call or, a, you know, half day working session uh, to help you choose well. Yeah, I think... Um I think the biggest takeaway that I got from listening to you today, Anne, was um, was you know I you know there's there's a number one, but let's just mention one is that I I, I kind of feel like what you're saying is less is more, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Really focusing, and I think you know you know it's funny when when we all get older. I, I similar to you, I've been you know in in the business world for thirty years. I look for the snow on the roof. Mm -hmm. I look for people who have gray hair mm -hmm. because they, they, they've been there. Mm -hmm. They know what it's like mm -hmm. and they work half the amount of time and they get double the amount of work at, mm -hmm. at, at least done. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. and, you know, experience matters. Mm -hmm. And, um, but, and so, you know, when I think about people who are having a lot of experience, 
you know, they're just, they're calm, they're collected, they, they get the job done and they do it in half the amount of time with half the amount of stress that's involved. And I think mm -hmm. to me, that's one of the big takeaways. Mm -hmm. You know, I like the, the analogy, I guess, because uh, I'm not in the industry, so to speak, I never heard of the three-legged stool in regards mm -hmm. to fundraising, but, you know, maybe it's important if you're, you know, to focus even on a two-legged stool, mm -hmm. if you, okay. you feel like you're not ready for it, the third-legged stool mm -hmm. as well. So. Mm -hmm. Good. Yeah. Well, Anne, I'd like to thank you so very much for coming uh, sure. on today's podcast. Cast is if you uh, if our listeners liked today's podcast, please feel free to share it with a friend and also subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. If you like uh, today's uh, podcast, please also give us a review and help us get a word word out. The nonprofit MBA has become very popular, and I'm proud of that. Um, and if you, of course, if you're looking for a line of credit for your nonprofit, please call us at eight six two two zero seven. 4118 or visit our website at nonprofitmbapodcast.com. Uh, and if anybody wants to get in touch with you, how would they go about doing that? Well, I have a website that actually focuses on my next career, which mm -hmm. is creative writing. Um, but you know, you can reach me through there. There's a contact me se section there. Uh, I'm at andemic.com. Great. All right. And, uh, and to our listeners, everybody, have a fantastic day, a fantastic summer. I think we're all happy. And I also want to, of course, say thank you all for making the world a better place. We, we need everybody to really chip in uh, and, and do our part. Everyone have a great day.